0: You're listening to Feed Play Love, a podcast that's all about supporting parents as they bring up children. We've got experts and advice to help you through the more challenging bits of parenting. I'm Siobhan Hunt. When social change starts with a hashtag, it can be an incredible thing to watch. From the time that the Me Too hashtag went viral across the world, the repercussions have been felt everywhere, from Hollywood to our primary schools. It lifted the lid on sexual assault and misogynistic behaviours across the board. As a mother of both a boy and a girl, I wondered what it meant for my children. Does this mean the world will be safer for my daughter? Does this also mean that my son will be a better man than those who have come before? Bobby Wegner is a psychologist and author of Raising Feminist Boys How to Talk with Your Child About Gender, Consent, and Empathy. Hi, Bobby, how are you?
1: Hi, Siobhan. Thank you for having me. I'm doing great.
0: What made you want to write this book?
1: You know, I am a mom, first and foremost, of three kids. So my oldest son now is 12. My middle child's ten, and my daughter is um, is seven. So two boys and a girl. And you know, I'm a psychologist and a mom. But um, you know, I this really came to me about a couple years ago when it was really during the Me Too movement, and the radio was playing, and my son was in the kitchen with me, and we're cooking, and I was getting sort of um, listening to things about Harvey Weinstein, and I had this awareness that my son was with me. And I went to go turn on the radio and it kind of clicked like, wait, this is a problem. You know, we have these horrible sexual assault statistics and, you know, we're shutting down the conversation before this conversation even starts. So I let the radio play on and then I connected with my son and just brought his attention to what was being said on the radio. And I, and I said, you know, this guy's in big trouble. He's touching women when they don't want to be touched and he could go to jail for this. And the thing that shocked me most about this was the fact that my son said, you know what, that's illegal. Didn't Trump do that? So it wow. raised my awareness around the fact that, you know, he was six at the time and that that was a messaging that he got from me or my, my husband or, or my family, but he was getting all this messaging from, you know, other places that he was internalizing and I had no clue, you know? so it just raised my awareness that he's shaping the way he thinks about himself and other people without me even knowing. So then I kind of dug deeper in the research and leaned into the psychologist part of myself and said, okay, like what's happening here? And that really began the, this kind of process for me.
0: Now that is one reason why we need to start talking to our kids about these sorts of topics now. Um, Are there any other reasons in terms of brain development or or what's happening for our children, in particular in these young years, Um, I guess, between, I say, when they're cognizant of what's going on around them, so that could be from four years of age onwards, um, why is it important to start the conversation early?
1: Yeah, so that's a great question. So, you know, as parents, we get very kind of freaked out when we think about kids and things like sexuality and sexual development. But what we really know from the research is that this is just a normal part of human development and our discomfort comes from us. So little kids don't have discomfort around these things because they haven't learned about them yet in a way that makes them uncomfortable. It's like we were the ones who are bringing that to the dynamic. So For us, and to kind of change the narrative, it's like accepting that this is part of human development, and then helping kids like own it and understand it, just like they learn about physical development, or the way they learn about cognitive development. It's like just another kind of arm of human development. So the sooner that we can help kids understand it, I would say even before four, honestly, by just naming, you know, anatomical parts correctly, and things like that, we help them start to integrate this part of themselves in a way that's just healthier and um, more integrated with who they are as, as as boys and as people.
0: I found that example of your son hearing the radio story quite interesting. And I guess it it resonates on a number of levels because... I think we haven't watched the seven o'clock news. That's when we tend to, the free-to-air channels have their news programs in Australia, or at least our public broadcaster does at that time. And we haven't watched the seven o'clock news since I think before I had kids, because I was so conscious of them not being exposed to all the awful things going on in the world. And it, it was a very natural progression to turn the telly off or Try and shut down conversations which I thought were a bit too dark for them, yeah, um, the example you made of of listening to what was happening with weinstein and and the me too movement that seems like an example where you could frame it in a way and talk to him in a way that explained the situation without scaring him um, is do you think that 's the case for all news? Should we be approaching that Sort of all those dark places in a similar way with our kids, or are there some topics that we should probably still just turn the telly off?
1: You know, I think it's not um, an easy answer or one size fits all. And the way I think about this, and uh, it's kind of like for whose benefit? What will he gain if I bring his attention to this or move towards this topic rather than move away? You know, so if you know, and you really have to look to your child. To, to see how they're responding and how they're integrating. So is he like getting it? Is he um, learning? Do you feel like it's useful in some way? Or is he feeling scared? And is he feeling overwhelmed? Is he feeling anxious? You know, and it's hmm. some kids. So we have this assumption too, I think, that if we, you know, turn the television off or we protect them, that they're actually protected and not going to have access or, you know, learn about these things other places. But, you know, I think even using my example and my experience is like, we know that's not true. You know, they are exposed to lots of different things that we don't even have an awareness of. So we have a choice, like, do we want to be alongside them in this and help them understand it in a way that's more developmentally appropriate and hopefully less scary and, you know, in a way that they can really understand? Or do you want them to kind of like figure figure it out on their own? So yeah, I think it's not an easy answer. And I think a good relationship with your child helps determine well, you know, most people know their kids, right? What's too much and what's what's what can they tolerate? But yeah. really looking for those cues to 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 know to, to help shape the conversation.
0: How do you work out when it's appropriate to talk about sexism? Let's say that, go back to that example again, because it's such a good one, where you hear it on the radio, there's one quite clear point that you can sort of go off to talk about sexism. Um, But... How do you pick the right moment to talk to your child? And I guess um, I'm also curious about the kind of language you can use that's age appropriate.
1: Yeah, that's a great question too. So, you know, we think about these types of conversations, not as like one kind of sex conversation or one conversation about consent, but really, you know, how do I set the tone or what I ask myself is like, how do I set the tone? with my kids to send the message that I can be along um, in this with them along for the ride and that they can come to me. And I think it's helpful now when they're younger, but I'm also hoping, and my kids are still little, so, you know, the proof will be in the pudding in future years. But, you know, well, my hope is that when I have these types of conversations on an ongoing basis and when bigger conversations come down the line, they'll feel comfortable and, and lean to me. But you don't have to start the conversation with like sitting your four year old or five year old down to have like a sex talk, right? That's just like, <laughs> <my goodness. Yes. laughs> it's, and that's not at all what this book's about, but it's about like understanding normal sexual development and identity development. So, thinking about the little kids, like zero to four, you know, things like potty talk and um, talking about genitals and peeing and pooping and things like that, that's really them starting to explore and get comfortable with some of these concepts. Or like little kids in that age range, you know, touch themselves a lot or touch objects or, you know, we, uh, or touch themselves as objects or, you know, kids kind of like humping the floor, really like mm-hmm. the parents are really freaked out. That's actually a normal behavior for that age range. Yeah. And then just kind of a curiosity and asking questions and wanting to touch others and like a lack of awareness around the impact of that or how that's being perceived. That's all normal. Right. So as parents, we often shut down the behaviors because it makes us feel uncomfortable rather than saying, helping the child understand, like, you know, that's a normal behavior, but we don't do that everywhere. You do that in your room or you do that in private. And this is why. So it's Mm. kind of teaching them just like the way we teach other parts of parenting.
0: You say that change starts with us, if we're talking about the Me Too movement, equality and uh, respect, consent, all of those things, and reflecting on our own unconscious bias is part of that change. What do you mean by that?
1: What that really refers to is, is bias, right? We all come into the world with biases and stereotypes and, you know, kind of like sexist beliefs or racist beliefs. And that can be really hard for people to hear and to like swallow and think, wow, at the end of the day, like there's a part of me that's sexist or there's a part of me that's that's um, racist. But but that's I say that not from a place of judgment. I say that from a place of that's the way our brain works. So we use prior experience to put people into like broad categories because it streams, streamlines thinking, right? So if I mm-hmm. walk into a room And I can more quickly make assumptions. If I can make assumptions about people more quickly, then I can tell like who's safe, who's not safe. And then so you are more comfortable with people and things that are more familiar to you. Mm. And so it's like knowing that our early experiences shape the way we see people and see the world and that's okay. But really pushing parents and people in general to have an awareness around like what What that is for you, you know. I grew up in a pretty conservative Irish Catholic family. You know, talking about topics like these was shameful or just like not allowed. So, you know, I haven't even given my mom the book yet because I'm sort of like, (laughs) God, like, (laughs) Um, but that—that's what I bring to the parenting dynamic, right? Like that I'm coming into to this knowing that that's like the bag that I carry. And that's okay. It's not right or wrong. It's just like knowing kind of where, like the lens in which I look from. The truth around how I want to raise my kids. So do I want to do the same thing? That could be great. Or do I want to do something else?
0: What if you're married to a white male who can't see his own privilege?
1: Uh-huh. I mean, I think that's <laughs> really hard. And quite honestly, you know, I, you know, I'm a white middle to upper class woman. I'm married to a white middle to upper class man. I think about these issues a lot because, you know, I, I teach advocacy. I write about this stuff. I'm a psychologist. My husband's in a completely different field. He's a um, a research, a financial research analyst, <laughs> you <Wow>. know, like <laughs> the world, analytically, like, it's just like, we live in two different camps. But I think it allows for us to have good, healthy debate. And even me writing about these types of topics allowed for good conversation. Mm. And, you know, I think it's about moving the needle and helping helping him see himself and him helping me see myself too. Right. It's like yeah. not like I I'm, I'm an expert at this. I'm just trying to figure out the best way I know how. And I know he's trying to do the same too. So how do we come together understanding coming in, um, knowing that he's coming to this conversation with best intention. And so I, so am I. And we both have, you know, a vested interest in raising good, kind kids and like just coming to it with an open heart and empathy and knowing that there's going to be lots of points of frustration mm. and kind of anger at times. But that's kind of part of the process too.
0: What about um, advocacy when you're trying to Teach children not to be bystanders. I think one of the things most parents feel is a desire to protect their children. Like, we don't want to put them into dangerous situations, but we also don't want to raise children who will stand by and let racist or sexist things happen. How do you tread that line with kids so that they remain safe, even if they're wanting to stand up and say something?
1: Yeah, I think a big part of this and you know, I, I, I write this, I wrote this book because I'm trying to figure this out too, right? I'm a psychologist, so I know some of the theory, but I, I'm in this too, like learning as go. Well. And so the way I think about it in my, in my family is, you know, how can you help kids follow their gut in a lot of ways? You know, kids are born, we're, we're all born with kind of an internal radar. And the more they can pay attention to that, and then give give a voice to that, it's really, um, can be quite helpful for them in many different ways, because if they can follow that internal radar, that's just going to serve them, you know, in all different ways down the line, but helping them understand first and foremost, what they're feeling, and then helping them next, understand what they want to do with that feeling. So they're in a situation that it's not safe to speak up and that's also okay, you yeah. know, um, yeah. You know, but how do you help them think about, understand the importance of just not being a bystander, Um, being an upstander is, is an important thing and when and how to do that. And one way that's kind of simple that I like talk to my kids about is like quite simply just noticing like who's not included or whose voice is not being heard. So look around at recess, like who's not playing the game and like, what does that person look like? Why aren't they included and how might they be feeling? So just raising curiosity around it and having them at least first and foremost pay attention to it and then deciding what to do, if anything.
0: And why is it so important for parents in particular to be conscious of these issues?
1: I mean, I think there's many different things, right? It's like one, you know, I think for me personally, I am motivated on a few different levels. One, I want to have kids that are empathic, right? And that means like having a self-awareness and then starting to realize that there are other people in the world aside them. I think that's particularly important as I'm raising, you know, kind of privileged white boys and the messaging they're getting in in our community is that, you know, the world is sort of theirs. And I just want them to realize that That's the position they're standing in, and there's a lot of privilege, and there's also opportunity to do a lot of good things with that. So there's an opportunity to make social change, too, and kind of create a different environment in a better world. So there's multiple layers to it, I think, for me. I think also, um, I think it's protective for them. So we know with rates of sexual assault and rape, like when those things happen, oftentimes, It's not like the stranger jumping out of the bush. It's non-consensual sexual encounters in high school and college. I don't want my boy to be that boy, you know, Mm -hmm. and for their benefit. I don't want them to hurt anybody and I don't want them to be in trouble and then have the burden of also potentially doing that to somebody else. And so the more they can understand about boundaries and consent and responsibility, you know, it kind of keeps everybody safe, themselves and other people.
0: Well, Bobby, thank you so much for speaking with us today.
1: Oh, thank you so much for having me and for tackling this together.
0: That's Bobby Wegner, she's a psychologist and author of Raising Feminist Boys. I'll put links in the notes of this episode to where you can find a copy. Feed Play Love is a babyology podcast produced and presented by Me. Siobhan Hunt. I'd love to hear from you. So if you'd like to get in touch, email me at feedplaylove at theparentbrand.com.au. See you next time.